What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In this week's episode, I'm going to be following up on last week's episode about the interest rates and how high I think they're going to go. During this past week, the European inflation rate figures have been released and it came in higher than predicted at 9.1% and sent everyone out there panicking. A lot of European government bonds were dumped on the market and bond yields have all shot up as a result. And what's now being predicted is that this week coming, um, there's going to be an increase by the ECB of interest rates in the range of about 0.75%. And that is because they have to respond to the increased inflation numbers. A little bit like how the Fed uh, announced you know, just two weeks ago, which was what last week's podcast was about. We're now in the middle of the European reaction to it. And so, but what I want to kind of get at is the episode, the purpose of last week's episode was not to sort of spook you guys and kind of get you all fearful. It was the opposite, in fact, because I've always been a bit of of a contrarian. And, you know, I've spoken before about continuity biases and the different cognitive biases that exist out there. And it's all about how you look at things and how the, the mindset reacts to things. And the reality is that, you know, during times of an economic slowdown, that is when fortunes have been made. And history has taught us that some of the most sustainable, long-lasting fortunes have been the ones that were built during a recession as opposed to during boom times. Because during boom times, like everyone is going rising in the market. And most people in though that you know that, that enjoy those big rises, they watch them sort of disappear pretty quickly afterwards. Anyway, this episode this week, I'm gonna cover the steps that I think you could take and to position yourself to take full advantage in the event that we do end up in this kind of market slowdown. And so without further ado, let us get into the show. You are listening to Behind the Facade and I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, before we kick off this week's show, I just want to do a quick shout out to a friend of mine, Garvin, who is celebrating his a significant birthday. I won't give away his age, but let's just say it's a it's a decade, uh, and it's so it's a significant birthday. So happy birthday to you, Garvin! Now, Garvin actually uh, gets the credit for putting this this week's podcast into my mind because after last week's you know um, talk about the interest rates. He mentioned to me that it, uh, it kind of had him a bit spooked, you know, that uh, are we heading into a downturn and this kind of thing. And so this is what this is this episode is about. It's kind of a follow up to that. And for sure, I think we are in for a rocky couple of months ahead. Um, at least that's my own personal opinion. You know, we've got the U.S. economic crisis unfolding. We've got Chinese property market looking pretty sketchy at the moment. We have inflation in the UK and Europe running at the highest level in something like 40 years at this stage. And then added to that, we have the Russia-Ukraine war. But even worse than that, in the last couple of days, in the last 24 hours or whatever, 
Uh, Russia have announced that they are turning off the, the gas pipeline that feeds gas to Germany. Now, anyone who's been paying attention to the political kind of stuff that's going on with Ukraine and Russia, they will know that everyone has been kind of saying, well, you know, Russia is, uh, you know, they're very bad for doing all this, but we still need their gas. And so every, a lot of people have been very critical of Germany's stance in, in which, you know, they're, they're punishing them on one, the one hand, but they're buying something like uh, $3 billion worth of oil a day. Uh, or gas a day from the pipeline. And so that is because Germany has positioned itself in a position where it can't really do anything else. It has no other alternatives. And so it's in a really difficult position. And Russia, I think, have basically decided to just maximum the maximize the leverage here. And uh, switching it off now in September, it had been expected that this might happen in November. And so the oil reserve or the gas reserves the tanks and the capacity that have been kind of built up around europe those will start to get used now rather than in the winter time and so i think that that would be putin making his chess move and kind of saying they'll all come begging to me by the time the cold months come along now this could well trigger a, a, a like a really serious energy crisis and europe was in the middle of one and the US and in fact most of the kind of the Western world if you want to consider Europe, North America, Australia, uh, you know all of these countries back in the 1970s went through what was the 1973 oil crisis. Now I was just a nipper back then but so I don't have any economic kind of memory of it or anything like that but it triggered a massive recession and it was a really serious thing. I can you know if you've seen photographs if you've looked at any kind of um newspaper headlines from back in those days you can see queues of people trying to get into petrol stations now i know during the pandemic that actually happened in various cases but um that was kind of short-term stuff this is this went on for quite a few months and um, people were rationing the amount of petrol that you could put into your car and stuff so we're heading towards some sort of similar thing when it comes to gas and given a lot of gas production uh, you know given a lot of gas is used to make the production of electricity we could be in a situation where we have blackouts and things like that over the next couple of months it's going to be a difficult situation and there's going to have to be this point where the government decide who is more important to get the you know the gas should it be given to industry to keep jobs going or should it be given to you know the people that are at home trying to heat themselves and given the cost of so much uh, you know, the cost of fueling your home and stuff like that has shot up. It's obviously going to impact people's spending power and, you know, what they're able to kind of do with their uh, their weekly budget or their monthly budget. Now, inflation was announced at 9.1%, as I mentioned, higher than predicted. ECB is going to increase rates. So you've got all of this stuff happening at the same time. You've got the energy prices going up. You've got interest rates now about to go up. You've got inflation higher than was it predicted. Um, this is, without a doubt, pointing towards an economic slowdown. Of, you know, it's, it's all but guaranteed that that is going to happen. How serious it is, is the bit that we don't know. How long it goes on is the bit we also don't know. And what kind of impact will it have on the property or real estate market? That's the bit that's really you know, a lot of people don't understand. It will definitely impact the real estate market. There's no question. 
And uh, that is because borrowing costs are highly correlated with um, the property market. You know, if you've got interest rates running at zero, which it has been for the last couple of years, prices were booming. Whereas now we're in a situation where rates are increasing substantially without, you know, any idea when this will end. So that's going to put people off making decisions around buying property. And so, um, so I do think there's going to be some sort of a, uh, an impact on the market. What kind of impact is the bit we don't know? And that is because following the 2008 crash that we had, the markets around the world were really badly impacted. And it actually, certainly in the Irish market, and I believe the UK market, it was impacted badly enough that supply has not come back, has not bounced back to the, sufficiently to deal with demand. And so there is still a supply-demand imbalance there. And so that could, you know, prompt or sort of prop up the market and uh, it could protect it to a degree. But people have got to, you know, borrow money in order to buy property most of the time. And if you're going to borrow and your borrowing costs have shot up, then the ability, the size of the loan that you can take out is going to be impacted. So how should you approach this if you want to take advantage of, say, a potential downturn? Well, I think what you've got to do is, first of all, let's begin with by identifying which group are you in. Are you in, do you belong to group A or do you belong to group B? If you are group A, you are already an investor and you've been busy over the last five or 10 years. That's group A. Group B, brand new to the market, probably haven't invested yet. If you have invested, you've only just begun and uh, you're keen to get into the market, but um, you're not uh, a dab hand. You haven't been at this for a long time. Now, if you're in Group A, as I mentioned, the, the experienced guys, then you're looking at a pretty significant shift in your business model. Rates uh, are about to increase, and this is going to present you with some risk. Your, your existing portfolio has been built on low interest rates. These are about to increase. And what kind of margin did you build for yourself when you were buying your portfolio? Um, if it's tight, if it's a tight margin, then you could be looking at a squeeze there. In addition to that, if you have lots of properties built um, up on, uh, and borrowings added based on the equity that you released on you know, improvements that you made on other properties, all of those properties went up in value, which allowed you to borrow more and more and more. And those values, there's a risk that those values are going to start dropping a little bit. Maybe not a huge amount, but they will come under pressure. And so your equity is going to be squeezed by this. And you need to be careful about that because the banks have what's known as a technical default, where if your equity below, uh, drops below a certain level, even though you're making the payments, you can still be technically in default. Now, those are the kind of group A experience guys. We're not really going to be focusing on those guys. We're going to be focusing on the, the group B. And these are the people who have been sitting on the sidelines for the last number of years, maybe watching with interest and very eager to get into the property market, but sitting there and going, scratching their head, how are they going to do it? Now, looking back over, um, like I do think that this, you know, the, the, this potential downturn presents an opportunity like it could be your big opportunity if you're in that group b this could be a big opportunity looking back on my own career there are very clear points of inflection when 
certain decisions that I made or moves that I made um, changed kind of the direction of everything. And every decade or so, there is some sort of an event or a series of events that triggers a downturn, a change in sentiment, whatever it might be, but it changes the way everyone was thinking about the market. If you went back two years ago and said, two years from now, this whole market is going to be on its ear, uh, most people would have kind of laughed you out of it saying, what's going to cause this? But here we are, stuff that is unexpected happens and the market changes. Now, you can, you, you can never predict when it is going to happen, but there's kind of views that it's somewhere between 7 and 15 years. So we'll say every decade or so, but you could be out by a couple of years. And what happens is certain people will st start to see signals that they believe are negative and they'll start to talk about them. And the problem is, is if you start calling these signals out too early, you start to sound like a bit of a crock. And, you know, there are people out there, there's, there's certain pundits that are sort of talking about the market's going to crash, the market's going to crash. They've been talking about it for the last three years. And so, you know, two years into them sort of sounding like a broken record, people start to dismiss them and think, you know, these guys, you know, they just keep on saying the same old thing. Suddenly looks like they might be right. And, um, and that's where you got to be, that's where people get caught. And what I've seen over the last, over my career anyway, which is, you know, 25 plus years at this stage, what I've seen is that there is always these generations that are created, that are kind of born during these times of economic crisis. So what you have is you have the new generation. Those are the new investors that enter the market during a downturn. And I'm not talking about a new generation in terms of the age of these people. I'm just talking about the fact that they are becoming active for the first time. It could be any age, although typically it's younger people that are getting involved for the first time. First time investors entering the market during a downturn often do extraordinarily well. They'll pick up property at distressed prices from the previous generation who stayed in the game for too long and got caught. They bought at the top, they're over leveraged, they get an equity squeeze, their cash flow comes under pressure, they don't have enough headroom. Whatever it is, they get forced to sell. Either they make the decision themselves that they have to start selling some of their assets in order to pay down some of the debt or to reduce their cash flow burden, or the banks start to kind of, or the lenders start to push them to do these things on them. Now, if you do happen to be one of those people in the new generation, the, the new generation of investors, typically you go and step in and take advantage of this because you're the ones that will bail out the previous generation that need the bailout. And you can take advantage of this opportunity. And I believe there are kind of four steps that you need to be able to, um, well, you certainly need to understand and know about these four steps. Step number one is you got to understand your strengths and weaknesses as an investor. And by knowing your strengths and weaknesses, you can devise a strategy that will best leverage them. And by doing that, you're able to then convince investors to back you. If, you've, if you're going out there and you have all these weaknesses, but you're not aware of them, then investors you're speaking to are going to highlight those weaknesses to you. So you need to develop a strategy that doesn't play to those weaknesses, that plays to your strengths. Now, you can do this by analyzing a couple of things that you have. Um, one of them is your access to capital. Do you have access to capital? 
A lot of people don't, so it's not necessarily a big problem. But do you have access to capital? Number two, do you have access to skilled people or experts? Like, what's your network like? Number three is, what does your own knowledge and expertise look like? Like, what do you do for a living? And then number four is, how much time do you have on your hands to kind of get involved in this and roll up your own sleeves? You use the answers from this to build a plan that will be credible and convincing in the eyes of potential investors, lenders, and partners. And that's, that's the first step. Step number two is knowing and understanding how to evaluate a property deal. Now, property investment opportunities, they come along. How do you evaluate? How do you assess the risks? How do you mitigate those risks? Where can you find value? And most importantly, where, like being able to identify that this is not good value. Do not overpay for an asset. That is like basically the end of your career if you overpay early in the start. The step, the third step is understanding the, you know, the, the steps involved in building and enhancing and managing a portfolio of properties. There are six steps you need to know and understand, and they range across lots of different things. But the reason you have to know these six, I mean, I'm not going to talk about them now because it'll become too long of a, of a podcast. But if you know these, you can talk the talk and you can walk the walk and when you're sitting down speaking to investors when you're pitching an investor having the ability to talk shop with them and for them to say what about this and you know what he's talking about and you can answer it in a convincing fashion like that's essential if you don't understand that stuff you're going to be kind of lost and you're going to find it hard to convince people that you know how to take advantage of an opportunity there's two risks that you run if you don't have that knowledge. The first is that you make a mistake and you screw up somewhere and you overpay or whatever. But worse yet, and this is probably the worst risk that you can run, is that you find a really, really attractive opportunity and you're not able to get the capital to actually take advantage of it. You go out, you start talking to investors and immediately they start picking holes in your understanding or your knowledge or your CV or whatever it is and you're unable to convince them and you have to watch the opportunity disappear and somebody else take advantage of it. Credibility is everything in this business. And then the fourth step, the final step is your ability to pitch an investor. And now this is, you know, tied into the first one. Being able to talk the talk is obviously one thing, but the actual process of pitching investors, um, understanding where they are, how to find them, first of all. And once you've found them, building a rapport, building the trust, understanding what their needs are so that whenever you present a deal, that it ticks those needs. Like, don't go out there presenting deals to somebody who aren't interested in those kind of either short-term, long-term, high-risk, low-yield, whatever it might be, understanding your investor. And only when you've done all of that work do you actually pitch them a deal. And... When you pitch them a deal, you should get a positive answer. As long as he's prepared, uh, like has the capital to actually invest, you pitch a good deal, you'll get an investor. Um, You might be out there thinking to yourself, but sure, I have my own money. I don't need an investor. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do a kind of my own deal and I'll refinance it myself and all that. That's, you know, that works. But the problem is, is that 
during times of downturn, you can actually see value everywhere. And you can start looking at multiple deals and you've got your own money and that money will go into one deal. And then that's it, you're tapped out, you're out of the game and you have to wait until you've, you know, got in, either refurbished or whatever it is that, you know, you're going to do to enhance that property that you've bought. It could take a year, 18 months, and only then can you kind of free up the equity to go again. By that stage, you've missed out on 18 months of value. So having a list of investors to be able to call upon and plug that gap when you see an opportunity to be able to strike quickly, that's what it's all about. Access to capital in this game is is really, really important. And um, I do believe existing sources of capital are going to start changing. I think you're going to have people out there, lenders and investors, existing lenders and investors, who possibly are going to be, you know, have clients that are now in some sort of potential difficulty as rates increase and stuff. And so they might take their eye off the ball for a while and they might stop bringing in new business while they're kind of sorting this out. That's what happened in 2008. All of the banks got so badly caught offside with their loan books that there was no business to be done for years. And um, so it'll be interesting to see. But if you want to go and build a portfolio, then this is what you need. You need to have investors on your side and the ability to kind of leverage their capital and your knowledge and your skills and put in what is known as sweat equity, plus your own sliver of equity yourself. Now, if any of this sounds of interest, if this sounds like you, if you're one of those people who would like to develop those skills, that network, and if you um, have, say, a year or two until you really want to kind of start jumping into the good value that could present itself, then you might be interested, uh, you might find yourself as a good candidate to actually join my mastermind, the Elite Property Accelerator. The program is just six months long. And it has just four modules. And those four modules are, as I just described in those four steps, strategy, deal analysis, building a portfolio and pitching the investor. And the next intake is three weeks away. So it'll be the third cohort that I've done. Uh, The first two, we had investors, contractors, professionals from, you know, design team professionals. And we also had a couple of entrepreneurs. I expect more of the same, and it's going to make a great little network of peers with similar goals and uh, objectives. I'm going to put my email in the show notes below. If you would like more details, reach out to me and, um, and, I'll, and I'll be back in touch with you. I was going to actually apologize for using today's episode to actually kind of plug my mastermind. But the feedback that I've gotten from the existing members of the current cohort has been really good and therefore like why would I apologize the reality is if you want to learn to become a professional property investor and you want to build a sizable portfolio like this is something that I've already done in my past and I believe that this program shows you how to do that and therefore uh, why would I apologize so guys if you're interested get in touch I'd be delighted to speak with you and uh, until next time we'll see you next week Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please leave a review over on iTunes. Or if you're watching on YouTube, please just like and subscribe to the channel. If you have any questions you'd like to ask me for future videos or whatever, 
you can join my Facebook group. It's called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, look me up on social. I'm, uh, my handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. And you can stay up to date on all the projects I'm working on and various things using my blog, which is GavinJGallagher.com. That's all for now. I'll see you guys next week.